Hello, welcome to a special edition podcast of Coffee and Conversation. I'm Jeff Harris, County and District Superintendent of Schools. And today we kind of want to have a little bit of conversation around distance learning. You know, this has been one of those things that um, has trailed us from last year when we started off having um, students out of our campuses and we were supposed to provide high quality educational opportunities. This year, it's very different. Um, SB 98 that was approved in June gave some very explicit and specific requirements on what distance learning could be, had to be. And um, as we've moved into this year, we're also talking about as we bring students back onto campus for in-person instruction, we know that we have a group of of our students who want to be off of campus, whether it's for a shorter period of time or the entire school year, who engage completely in distance learning. So in talking about distance learning, we have joining us today, Leslie Machado, the Director of Curriculum and Instruction. Hello, thank you. Leslie. And uh, Tom Kissinger, our Assistant Superintendent for Educational Services. And it's nice to be back. So, you know what, guys? There's been a ton of work done on distance learning. So just before we really kind of dive in, we know what distance learning has kind of looked like over the past four weeks. Um, We know what SB 98 says. So as we think about students who are continuing in distance learning, they will not be returning in person onto campus at all. Um, Tell us what distance learning is going to look like uh, this year. So I think the most important uh, aspect of this is that Principals right now are making phone calls to those families who requested a full distance learning experience this year. And what it might look like is that although they will be at a full distance learning, it might not be with their current teacher. And, and there's a very good reason for this. Uh, we looked at it in cohorts. So you have your your in-person, you have your Monday, Wednesday, A cohort, and then a teacher might have a, a in-person B cohort on Tuesday, Thursday. We didn't then want to add those six or seven students in their class who wanted to be full distance learning because that would be like an afterthought. It would be after they're done teaching uh, their in-person cohort. And then they remember under SB 98, they have to connect with their off cohort kiddos in the afternoon. And then at the end of that day, now we're going to be trying to find a way to provide direct instruction to students who chose distance learning all year. And it, it, it's not fair. to It's not fair to teachers. It's not fair to students. It's not what's best for kids. So we really tried to look at those two cohorts, trying to provide teachers with the responsibility of, of those of two cohorts. So on Monday morning, when students are participating in distance learning, They're going to be logging on and they're going to be on from 8 a.m. to 12.30 a.m. 12.30 a.m. No, it's not that late. That's that's a long daytime. No, that's many, many hours. They're going to be on from 8 to 12.30, but that's going to be continuous instruction with the teacher, right, Leslie? Correct. So they may be, uh, it may be with a teacher who may have an in-person cohort from 8 to 1230. So their day might be uh, on Tuesday, Thursday. So principals will be uh, posting those cohorts. We said, you know, no later than Friday, but they are absolutely calling right now as we speak, uh, reaching out to families who requested this. And yeah, from 8 to 1230 on, on two days a week, that is the direct instruction. And what that means is on the other three days, the off cohort days, we'll call it, they will also be connecting with them in the 
afternoon on uh, like on Monday, Wednesday, they'll be connecting in the afternoon for an hour, checking in, making sure that they got their work done that they talked about the day before or the week before, um, and then preparing for what's coming the next day, because that'll be their full distance learning from eight to 1230. And then on Fridays, they'll be checking in as well. Yeah. And so I think it's important that everybody kind of envisions a day. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we have a teacher who is providing in-person instruction and here again, this is just kind of a sample schedule, but just to kind of understand the the times, if if they are teaching students that are in person, they're going to be with those kids in person from eight to twelve thirty um, at twelve thirty. Those students will leave the classroom. Um, they'll get in their car, walk home, get on the bus, whatever that looks like. And then in the afternoon, um, our teachers have a half hour duty free lunch. That's part of their that's part of the teacher contract. Um, they also have preparation time. So they're reaching out to families. They're connecting with students who did not log in or who didn't show up that day or or they're calling families. Um, they're they're monitoring student work. They're checking for participation online. And then there's also daily live interaction um, with a cohort that wasn't in front of them that day. Right. So that may be another hour. So at the end of that time, if you add all of that up, that's pretty much a full contract day for our teachers. Um, And like Leslie said, you know, one of the, I think, foundational principles that we've had in looking at distance learning was it's not fair for our students on distance learning. Uh, or our teachers who are already looking at a full day of instruction to then come back and say, how do I provide this additional distance learning if if I have two in-person cohorts and distance learning comes in at the end of the day, if it's something else? Um, we don't want it to be kind of maybe, I think, Leslie, you said that afterthought, mm-hmm. that that one more thing that has to happen. We really want it to be that focused piece. And and so the other kind of principle is if we have a teacher who's teaching an in-person cohort, then the other cohort, we don't want any teacher teaching more than two, if at all possible, that second cohort, that, that focus is on distance learning mm-hmm. um, because there are so many skills, there's so many strategies, there's so much um, uh, planning and, and, and I think preparation that goes into that that we want to make sure that every child has the best educational opportunity they can during this year Um, because there's no way, and I think that this is important to understand, there's no way that after a seven and a half hour day, including that lunch for staff, that we can throw another four hours of instruction on top of that. Um, well, and, we could. It's just that nobody could ever survive. It. <laughs> that's true. But but that four hours of distance learning, that's going to be critical. And that meets the law for SB 98, right? But not only does it meet the law, but it looks like the way it's set up is there's going to be a high level of engagement between the teacher and the students. And they're going to be able to do their standards-based work right. in class. And they're going to have... Uh, uh, just just as good of an opportunity to access the curriculum and they're going to be engaged in in real learning activities during this time. And, you know, I know one of the pushbacks is really going to be my child has had Mr. or Mrs. whoever for the past four weeks. Now you're telling me that I have to go with a different teacher, right? Mm-hmm. And that's going to be tough. 
For sure. It's going to be a struggle for because we know how important connecting to your teacher and your classmates is at this time. Um, but if we're looking at so if that's a, a, a teacher that your teacher and, and you're being asked to move to a different teacher, the reason is, is that that teacher probably is going to have two in-person cohorts. And mm-hmm. we want to make sure that your child has a teacher who's dedicated uh, a full cohort. So two days fully dedicated to meeting the educational needs of your of your child. And that would be the reason, the only reason why we would do that. Yeah. And if the teacher is teaching at that grade level, they're going to get the same curriculum. But we understand that the mm-hmm. people have their preferences. Right. We're just not able to accommodate all of those preferences. Yeah. And I think that's been the difficult thing. You know, when we started asking back in, I think, mid to late June, um, whether folks wanted to be part of an in-person cohort or distance learning, um, throughout the entire time that we had that open, we we heard from about one third of our families coming into this year. We know that a lot of our principals have given um, other communications out. They've requested communication. They've reached out. They've talked to families, um, particularly those families who requested distance learning. And basically, it's kind of brought us to where we are now. And um but it's been, you know, we've really been trying to figure out how many students are we really talking about? What does the program really look like? How can we really make this happen? Um, who really needs this? Because there are three requirements for entering distance learning under SB 98 and for going full distance learning all year. And those requirements are um, the student has to either be medically fragile they would be put at risk by in-person instruction or potentially their family could be put at risk by in-person instruction. Or these are students who are self-quarantining because of exposure to COVID-19. And, um, you know, and then there, there's that fourth category too, that they could be told that they have to quarantine by a public health officer. So um, while I know that a lot of our families want distance learning, distance learning is really an accommodation based around COVID-19 and COVID-19 exposure. Um, for 2021, distance learning is not just a school or a program of choice, right? It really is an accommodation based on medical need and medical necessity. And it's not going to work for everybody. No. I mean, we have um, some students who have special needs, special education students, and they their their parents want them to participate in distance learning. And in some cases, it works. But there may be other cases where the only place where we can meet the students' needs is in school. And so in, in those cases, those students are going to need to come to school. And that, that brings up a good point, because right now, as principals are calling our distance learners, uh, they're being asked, you know and told this will be your teacher and it may or may not be like we've said, you know, who their teacher currently is. But if they say, yeah, I want to, I want to do it. We're good. We're distance learning. And then they get into it and they decide, oh, this isn't working. Uh, We're trying really hard to create those stable cohorts. We have to within those in person. So there won't be an opportunity to switch back from distance learning into in person to make that shift until after a break. So we would be where we are holding until after winter break. Is that correct? You know, well, you're right, because part of what we have to look at is when you talk about stable cohorts, so there are multiple ways of cohorting, um, but what we're looking at is a stable cohort. To create a stable cohort, you need the same group of students and staff uh, interacting for roughly two to three weeks, 
And then that cohort should maintain for around nine weeks, right? Nine to 12 weeks. So as we roll into this first round of bringing students back in person, um, and we have our students engaging in full distance, um, then those folks that are going into full distance, our, our in-person kids need to be in that classroom with their teacher, with the support staff, roughly until the middle of October. And then if we count nine weeks out, that brings us right up to the beginning of winter break. Um, so after winter break, everybody's got two weeks that they'll be off. Um, I'm assuming that uh, many folks will, will visit family, um, may travel a little bit. But when we come back in January, at that point, we'll be using the next two to three weeks to reestablish those stable cohorts. And that would be a time that we would reintegrate uh, students who want to come back from distance learning. And then we'd progress through the next nine to 12 weeks, which would take us roughly up until spring break. Um, so it it kind of works out in in that kind of uh, of a rotation. But again, I think it's really important for everybody to understand that as we move forward with distance learning, it's not about ripping a child away from a current teacher. It's not about penalizing a child because they're choosing to go on distance learning or anything like that. It really is about providing the best distance learning program and opportunity that best meets the needs of the student. And, and again, just know that this isn't something that um, the three of us in this room came up with or Tom or Leslie came up with. This has been a collaborative effort with our um, bargaining unit partners, with principals, with teachers who quite honestly cannot come back to the classroom. They have health issues that will not allow them to come back into the classroom. And some of these teachers are the ones that will be teaching distance learning. Um, and this has gone through our uh, uh, many, many processes to get us where we are now. So one of the questions that, you know, I've heard uh, that I assume that families would have is if I'm a Mary Peacock student, I've signed up for distance learning and I'd, I'm i going to have a distance learning teacher um, assigned. I'll be assigned to a distance learning teacher, maybe at Best Maxwell. Does that mean now that I'm a Best Maxwell student or am I a Mary Peacock student? What happens with that? Yeah, you stay a Mary Peacock student. Um, so just taking the three of us, Tom, Leslie and myself, if if. I was a teacher at Best Maxwell and Leslie was a teacher at Mary Peacock and Tom was her student, but went on distance learning and he may come to me. I would show up in the system as a teacher at both Best Maxwell and a teacher at Mary Peacock. Tom would remain a student at Mary Peacock. And then as we started looking later in the year and potentially Tom coming back in person or even looking forward to the 21-22 school year where Tom was going to be kind of promoting to the next grade level, there's no, uh, there's no lack of clarity. There's no question about where Tom remains a student. He is a Mary Peacock student. Leslie, I think that's a great question. Another question that I think some parents may want to know is, or want to ask is, if, if, I'm, if I'm participating in a cohort and I'm showing up on campus, but it's no longer really working for whatever reason, um, uh, uh, my parents want to bring me back uh, to distance learning. Is there the opportunity to do that at any given time or would that need to wait until a natural break as well? You know what? No, I think that one, because remember, we're only offering distance learning because of a medical reason. 
right? It's not because I want to go to Disneyland, so I need to go on distance learning. It's not because um, I'm going to go, you know, hunting or fishing or whatever it is. It really is for students who are medically fragile, who would be put at risk by in-person instruction, or who are self-quarantining because of exposure to COVID-19. And if there's a medical reason, then at that point, you could move to distance learning. However, you would be with that distance learning cohort until the next time that we were to create a, a recreate another stable uh, cohort in person. So I, complex, huh? It is very complex, yeah. right? Because we're trying to keep those stable cohorts. We really want to create a community of germs, uh, right? So that right. we're all stable and that we're not bringing any outsiders. So that means uh, another another example that I'm thinking of is you know. It's very important for when first day of school, and this is kind of like the first day of school on Mondays. I I loved walking my kiddos to their classroom, meet their teacher, go in their classroom. That's going to look very different come Monday. That 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 will not be the experience for most of our kids. Uh, we are trying to really keep the as least amount of germs within the school site as we can to start creating those stable cohorts in a classroom. So what right. will that look like? What's it going to look like when we drop off kids at school on on Monday? It's going to look very, very different um, than it ever has been before. And it's kind of a it, it's it's going to be a real challenge for parents and for staff to not be able to greet each other the way that they used to. But it makes me think about it's going to be different at the schools, but for our distance learners, it's going to be very, very different, too. And so for them, um it's going to be um, it's going to be very very important to virtually make those connections with their teachers and and get to know the and get to know the principal and kind of get to know other folks at the school site, right? And well, and I think you know, Tom, that brings up another concern that I'm the that I've heard from some parents is that if that's not the if that's not the teacher my child currently has, those are not the same kids that my child currently sees, um, then I want my child to stay with that teacher. I mean, you, you, you can't change them because that's their peer group. Um, so as hard as that might be, as, as difficult as it may be to, to kind of go through and, and wrap our head around under SB 98, we have to have live daily interaction with a certificated teacher and peers there's no way that given the circumstances that we're under, we can't go out and hire 10 additional teachers. Um, and even if we did, even, even if we went out and hired 10 additional teachers, they still wouldn't be with their child's same peer group, right? Because we've got 12 school sites. Um, we've got 200 certificated employees, each teaching groups of kids, um, and so there just really is no way to make that happen. So by coming up with the solution that we have, where we basically are addressing distance learning by grade level, mm -hmm. correct? Um, we can't guarantee that a child will be able to interact with their friends in the class that they've been in, but they will be able to interact with peers in a grade level cohort principals uh, worked all weekend. We really looked at trying to keep those cohorts uh, 
on site for distance learning, if there was any way and the numbers worked in any way that we could create a cohort for a teacher there without overburdening with a third cohort, if there was any way we could split the in-person up amongst the teachers at that grade level at that site and keep those distance learners there, that has happened. And what that did is if there were six distance learners for a second grade at a particular site, we tried to keep them there. But what might happen is you might see some new faces because we might have to add some other students from second grade into that cohort where at another site they could they couldn't uh, account for those numbers they couldn't they couldn't do it so you might see some new kiddos even though you may not be changing teachers um, or classes for for that matter it'll go down to the six that chose distance learning but you'll have some new friends in there as well and new and new friends new year kids make new friends when they start a new school year oh absolutely well and you know and and in a lot of ways that's not the worst thing because as our as our kids get older, as our students move up through the grade levels, all of our in-town schools um, end up going to Crescent Elk for sixth through eighth grade anyway. And, you know, having been a principal myself where I had multiple schools that kind of matriculated in, sixth grade was kind of the hardest grade because all of a sudden we were intermingling multiple school sites with students who had been together for six years, who had never seen anybody else. And so helping our children to, um, to reach out, to create new friendships, to understand how to, how to meet and greet new, new faces, new Mm -hmm. people, um, I think is maybe a really good side effect of, of what, what we're going to have to do in order to make distance learning work. And, um, you know, so I, I really do encourage parents, if you have questions, if you have concerns, reach out to your site principal, um, and just know that distance learning will be that four and a half hours a day, um, on the, on your cohort days, it will be a touch base on the non-cohort days, just like it is for every other child who's off cohort, um, that, that this has been a thought process, um, we've we've gone through thinking through various scenarios, looking at different situations, making the numbers work, and at this point, we're literally creating a de facto second or a de facto school. How many how many students are in distance learning throughout the district, Leslie? For K eight, we have two hundred fifty seven. Two fifty seven. Mm-hmm. So that's larger than Mountain, Sunset, and Margaret Keating combined. So this is this is not a small group of students. And as we start really looking at how we accomplish this along with in person, um, I think that, you know, as difficult as it may be, this is the best situation we have currently. And, and I think our families also need to understand that distance learning as what we're talking about in this structure will only be here for this year. The, the, the current law only allows for this to take place in 2020, 2021, as of June 30th, 2021, unless the law is re-upped or changed, all distance learning as part of a comprehensive school program is out the window. I know. <laughs> all that work. <laughs> a, lot, a lot to take in. Yeah, it is. So as we go through or as we kind of wrap up this particular time, and I know we're going to have some additional time um, in the Wednesday webinar, we may have some additional time next week as we as we talk about um, different aspects of what it's going to look like to bring kids back onto campus or to have distance learning. Um, any final thoughts from either one of you? 
No, I, I think that for distance learning, as much as we're asking teachers and we we're trying to create a process and a system so that teachers, um, have the time and the opportunity built in, you know, from eight to 12, 32 days a week that we would ask that families and students understand that that is school from eight to 1230, that they are in class. It is on, if not, there's no direct instruction of the current grade level standards that can happen. It can't happen as an afterthought in the afternoon to check in. It needs to be direct instruction. So getting them back on a schedule from eight to 1230 um, will be really important. The only thing I'd like to add is that we're going to be here for you, um, for families and for staff. When people have questions, when people have issues or problems or concerns, uh, we're part of what we do is, is, is work with you and get through them with you. So if you do have questions, we're going to be there for you. Yep. And, and don't hesitate to reach out. And, you know, just one last thing that I don't think I mentioned a little earlier, and that's interdistrict transfers. You know, if you are currently attending a school on an interdistrict transfer, and you do you do this um, distance learning piece. You will not lose your your interdistrict transfer. Remember what I said earlier. You will remain a student at that school, or your child will remain a student at that school. Um, and we won't be removing them from the school and putting them someplace else. So um, that's one more or one less thing that I don't think you as a family need to have any anxiety over. So Tom and Leslie, thank you. Um, I again, I just have to really thank our principals, our labor partners, you guys for working with everybody so diligently um, to get numbers, um, our school staff for for all of the work they've done on reaching out to people, on verifying um, uh, which program that the children wanted to be in, um, because without all that work, we wouldn't be where we are today. So um, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.